And so one of the greatest gifts that anyone ever gave me was a teacher who taught me, first of all, to see how every book of the Bible fits together as a unified story that leads to and points to Jesus. And that the message of this story and of the scriptures is so profound. I've had like the most meaningful times where I'm going, what? This is what it actually says? And I, I've made major life decisions where no one else is around, just me and this book. He also taught me how to read the Bible for myself, to gain the skills. He gave me confidence, just practical know-how about how to read an ancient book that is God's word to me still today. And it bothers me because I go, man, nowadays I don't hear about people getting alone with God or alone with the Bible. All I hear is about, Oh, this speaker or this religious leader and I'm going man don't you ever just get alone I mean this is where the the impossible happens life matters and the issues in life matter because they affect how we live our lives in this podcast pastor Walt McFadden thinks out loud about truth and discerns how it is being applied to everyday life Thinking Out Loud podcast is a production of City View Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Pastor, well, we got a great topic today, and a topic that I think some people just don't know a whole lot about. I'm discerning that right now, that people don't know a lot about discernment. That's our topic. We're going to talk about discernment. What is discernment? It's the ability to discern or to tell the difference between what is of God and what is not of God. And you got two sides. You have good, you have evil, you have God, you have Satan. What is of God and what is of Satan? And I heard this definition that really hit me. When there is no clear direction, that's where discernment comes in because we all have questions about particular issues, right? Not every issue in the church has been settled, and since the time Jesus left the earth, the church has been arguing about different issues. How do we know when we're on the right side of truth? That's where discernment comes in. Okay, but let me just push back a little bit on that. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians, I believe is eleven fourteen, Satan masquerades as an angel of light, which means that he actually presents himself as a righteous entity. I mean, how do you know that you're not entertaining that sort of spirit? He seems to get better at it all the time, right? He does, yes. He gets more sophisticated. His message, his branding becomes more refined. He continues to say the same thing, but he's just wiser, trickier, more crafty. From the very beginning, we knew that he was crafty. So part of the idea of the podcast is, where's the church in America? Where's the discernment in America? I'm sure that every culture has their own issue. And what is our issue is that whatever stupid idea the world comes up with, and they're, they're really stupid ideas out there, the church jumps on board with it, or at least a segment of the church jumps on board with it. But Satan is not a creator. We know that he can't create anything. He just distorts what's already created. So if you're looking for a new idea from Satan, you're not going to find it. What you're going to find is he takes the truth of God and he turns it into a lie, but he clothes it in 
oftentimes religious language, spiritual language. And I think of the verse somewhere in Corinthians, Paul says, just because you feel that you're right doesn't make you right. That's very good. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about some of those stupid ideas. Can we do that? Sure. I like your bluntness there, stupid ideas. How about Christians celebrating Ramadan? We all know that Islam has some issues, and yet we've welcomed them into our churches. Sometimes we've done Chrislam, which is a Christian Islamic worship service. Is that kind of stupid, or what are your thoughts? Boy, you're starting with a hard one, aren't you, Larry? But I think I can tackle that. It goes back to something that doesn't originate with me, but John Piper said, I don't want to be a part of something that celebrates a person going to hell. So the question in that case was, should I attend a gay marriage? Would you attend a an abortion. I'm going to abort my child today. Would you come to the hospital with me and participate and be a part of that? Why do we give certain sins a pass in the church? And that's another place where Satan has deceived us. We get to the point where we're told so many times you can't touch this issue that in turn we actually give it a pass. So then people become confused. I remember a person told me maybe six or seven years ago, I joined your church because I was confused about gay marriage. And on the Sunday that I attended, you said gay marriage is wrong. Absolutely no question about it. People are looking to us as pastors for guidance and people don't take hints. One of my members often says it's interesting to think about what are people hearing across the congregation. And I've come to realize as a pastor that I can say the sky is blue and somebody will come out of my church service and say, the pastor just said the sky is pink. I know what I said, and the majority of the congregation knows what I said, but sometimes we hear what we want to hear. Okay, let's further that along a little bit. Let's take up another one of those stupid things, and let's say we don't test anything, yet the scripture tells us to test everything. What about the guy that comes on the airwaves and says, I need $54 million because I need a new jet? Now, when we talk about discernment, it is almost as if, as you say, the church just accepts everything, jumps on board board with helping this guy get $54 million to buy a jet. What do you say about that? We want to believe that because he's offering us a promise. If you donate to me, you too are going to be blessed. You too are going to be able to fly in a private jet. So the message is, I'm God's man. I have a promise for you. But all we have to do is look at the experiences of the believer in the New Testament or through the whole scripture. And we look at the lives of the 12 original apostles, and we don't see them living a life of luxury. The idea is, well, Jesus paid the price for us on the cross. He was poor that we might be rich. Well, what about his original followers? They were not rich. They really didn't carry anything out of the world just like Jesus didn't. So there is a track record. There is church history. There is an experience of these people. The meek may inherit the earth, but a bold preacher has his eye on the heavens, and he's asking his flock to get him there in style. I really believe that if Jesus was physically on the earth today, he wouldn't be riding a donkey. Think about that for a minute. He'd be in an airplane preaching the gospel all over the world. Televangelist Jesse Duplantis is hoping to take the word of Jesus to new heights with help from a $54 million private jet. I've owned three different jets in my life and I and used them and just burning them up for the Lord Jesus Christ. Duplantis runs a ministry and church outside New Orleans. In a video posted to his website last week, he asked his followers for help funding the aircraft. We're believing God for a brand new Falcon 7X so we can go anywhere in the world one stop. The prosperity gospel, which many of these ministers are preaching, is simply not 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of prosperity is a biblical heresy and needs to be named as that. You're listening to Thinking Out Loud with Walt McFadden. We argue all the time about women in ministry, and I tend to find some moderation on that issue, but we have the example of a woman named Phoebe in the New Testament as a deaconess. We have the daughters of Philip the Evangelist as prophets. And so out of that experience, we can come up with a more moderate view, and we don't have to take these extremes of complementarianism or egalitarianism. We can just sort of use our heads. And professor told me once in Bible college, God gave you a brain for a reason, and that might feel harsh, but sometimes we just need to think through these things and think about what is a rational response to this. So many times we get into these extremes on these issues, which the Bible could seem to go either way, and then we use it as a club to beat each other over the head. I'm an egalitarian, I'm a complementarian, you are wrong, I am right. And a couple of the things that I would say as well and add to this is the Bible gives us a message, and I say this all the time, the message is the gospel. And when something else takes the place of that original message, the church is getting off track. So, for example, if you're in a church and your pastor, say, talks about a particular issue every single Sunday and he can't get off of that particular issue, he's making that issue the reason for the existence of the church. The reason for the existence of the church is to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And so often it seems like Christians are turning into Republicans in our culture. They are against everything and they're not for everything. And I guess I would call myself a Republican, but I want to see some ideas, some positive ideas every once in a while. What is the church for? I am against abortion. I am against gay marriage. But what am I for? And then the other problem is biblical illiteracy. We have an absolute epidemic of biblical illiteracy. You see these sort of humorous tests every once in a while. People say, is this in the Bible or is it not in the Bible? Or someone will offer a text, who said this, Jesus or Oprah? And everybody in the church fails the test and they feel silly because they don't read the Bible. And of course, the world doesn't read the Bible and then they tell us what the Bible says. But if we just read the Bible, and the Bible talks about actually eating the words of the Bible, it's a meal to us. We don't exist without eating. We shouldn't exist as a Christian or believer without that daily meal of getting into the Word. Christians are aware that the culture is shifting around us and that it is becoming increasingly difficult to call yourself a Christian. And I believe that as a result of these pressures, we have a growing awareness of the importance of knowing our sacred text. Uh, but within the church, I think what we're seeing is a full-blown Bible literacy crisis. We have people who have been in the church their entire lives who only have a casual relationship with their sacred text. And I believe that if the church is to remain the strong voice that it needs to, we're going to need to get closer to the Bible than we have been in perhaps the last several decades. If you look at the research on this, it shows that uh, less than 50% of adults can name all four of the Gospels. I think it's 60% of all adults can't name more than five of the Ten Commandments. And you may say, well, why does that even matter? Like, why do we need to have that kind of knowledge of our text? And I would say that when attacks come against what we believe, the first line of defense that we have is knowing whether our own text is being used in a way that is pulling something out of context. So often, Pastor Walt, there has been people that come up with false teachings or false signs and wonders. And 
And everybody who sort of discerns the stuff, they always say, well, stay with the word. Go back to the word. But yet these folks who have these false signs and wonders and false teachings are using the word to propagate their falseness. So, I mean, how do you get around that? Well, we have examples, multiple examples of straight-out fraud and manipulation of audiences. We have sort of this groupthink or group experience sometimes when people come in. So to investigate, and one thing I tell people is don't ever give your money to somebody because you think they did a miracle. That's prostituting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus never took money in exchange for miracles. And so these people who talk about their great faith, well, you know, let them live on faith. Give directly to your local church first. That's where you get your ministry. But don't give money to these people because they're on television and they're making a promise to you. Then the other thing is, there is the idea of the Bible being a whole story from cover to cover. And so we can take isolated or selected passages, but there are rules of hermeneutics, which is just the science of interpreting the Bible. And the first rule is Scripture interprets Scripture. So again, if a person is not taking the whole counsel of God, the whole message of the gospel, and they're taking out this verse or that verse, and then that becomes the main thing. Here's another stupid idea. I hear people saying now, and it's a, a current phrase, our church is a social gospel church or a social justice church. That is not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is not for society. The purpose of the church is to be the body of Christ. Now, out of that experience, we affect society if the church is functioning properly. And so often, the church is not functioning properly because we are sort of relating to one another the same way that the world relates to one another. You know, we want to be with people like us. We want to have our friends. And then the church becomes a social gathering on Sunday. But the idea that the purpose of the church is for the world is a contradiction to Scripture. The purpose of the church is that we might have fellowship together and become the holy body of Jesus Christ. So if you push back even on that one, when you think about people saying, well, the church is for the world because we're supposed to reach them. So we have to become like them in order to reach them. Why is that a false premise? Anything that you do in life, if it's a business, if you set up Burger Queen next to Burger King, you're going to fail because you haven't separated yourself out. And Jesus drew very clear and radical lines. This is the world and this is us. The world's road is really wide and there's a lot of people on that road. And our road is very narrow and there are very few people on that road. We can't seem to get that in our heads that Jesus said very few. He didn't say a lot, the majority or most are going to travel that road. Very few are going to travel that road. He talked about eating his flesh, drinking his blood, picking up your cross. These are very radical ideas. We are used to having crosses around, but in that culture, a cross was a symbol of terror, of humiliation, of excruciating suffering. We don't put it in the, the cultural context of the radical message of Jesus. And that's why the early church survived was because their message was so countercultural and so different that people in the midst of hundreds of religions, sects, cults, were able to see there's a difference about these Christian people 
And so by blending in, we don't have those bold colors that cause us to stand out and get people to notice there's something different about us. But stop and think with me for a minute, Pastor Wall. We don't want to be cross-cultural. I mean, I don't know a pastor that I've met in the last 10 years that wants to be countercultural. He wants or she wants to be able to attract the crowd so they can win them for the lost. So that seems to be the motive behind how church growth happens today. We don't preach counterculturalism. There's a failure in that as well. Christianity is supernatural, but so often we go about it in natural terms or natural means. Our effort is natural. If we build a better building, if we have a better youth pastor, if we have a coffee shop, every single one of those things, I can do those in my own power. I'm an Old Testament guy and I'm studying right now and I'm under the reign of Ahab and Elijah goes to Ahab and he says, Ahab, God is going to give you the victory. Why would God give Ahab a victory? Because it says that he was more wicked than all of the kings of Israel. Well, it turns out that the enemies, the Syrians said, he's the God of the hills, but he's not the God of the plain. So let's go meet him on the plain and we'll defeat that God there. Well, the God of the hills was Baal. So God says, I'm going to lead this nation, and I'm going to lead this smaller army to victory because I'm zealous for my name. I'm zealous for my message. Jesus is zealous for the church and for the preservation of the church. And he's going to step forward, and he's going to purify his church, and he's going to get the world to notice him regardless of what we do. We can look at many instances around the world where the Holy Spirit moves supernaturally to bring revival in a nation, and there's very little gospel witness from believers because God says, in my sovereignty, I choose this. So Christianity is supernatural, and we try to do just about everything in natural means. And rather than have a pastor who is a shepherd who seeks God, who hears from God. We want a leader. We want a person to build a nice building. We want a person who can handle a capital campaign. We want a person who can run multiple staff members. And we have have this very select idea. We really want a person to run a corporation here because that's how we're going to build a big church. And that's not what the church is. The gospel is supernatural. And we're to more and more depend upon the supernatural power of God, but more and more we depend upon our own natural ability. So coming back to discernment, Pastor Wald, what would we discern in light of what you just said? How would we discern a gospel-driven church? What's the characteristics of a church like that? Well, the first thing is, does the pastor back up what he says with the scripture? Now, you can go to any church. The pastor will pull a verse out of his hat 15 minutes before the service, and he'll make a message out of that. And anybody can do that. And I heard it said in the past that topical preaching is the bane of Christianity in America right now. There's not very much expository preaching, but we're starting to get back to that because people want to know what does the Bible say? Even unbelievers read and know the Bible. So what is the message that's coming from the pulpit? And then the second thing is, is there true fellowship here? And that's a very difficult thing to discern. Fellowship is not 
a potluck on Sunday morning. What happens outside of the service is the real determination of true Christian fellowship. Are we in one another's lives or are we scattered all over? Do we see each other outside of Sunday morning? Are we there when somebody's sick in the hospital? We got to get away from this idea that the pastor has to see me or it's not a legitimate hospital call or sick call or whatever it is. And we, we've hired people to fill that role, right? A minister of pastoral care. That was my first job in the ministry. And I was sent to the hospitals and the nursing homes to visit people. And they had no fellowship after being in the church for 50 years with anybody else in the church. And then third, are the people moving toward holiness? Are they moving toward Christ-likeness? Are they becoming godly? Are they thinking like Jesus is. I think that's a big determinant for, am I spiritually mature? Do you think like Jesus? Look at the words of Jesus. Look at what Jesus did, his actions, how he interacted with people. Are you acting like Jesus and are you thinking like Jesus about these particular issues? And the message of Christianity, we got 2,000 years, and if somebody comes along and says, I found this new thing, that's a red flag. Reject that. As I was prepping for this podcast, the idea of the Occupy Wall Street, it came and it went within maybe a three or four month period. And I know that the church felt like, hey, we got to go down there. We got to protest with these people. We got to participate in what they're doing. And somehow we're going to win these people to Christ. And all the, these people did was just blend in with them. The Occupy people made the, the, the people in the city of Minneapolis and other cities upset. There was garbage everywhere. There were tents everywhere. Again, whatever stupid idea that the world comes up with, we think that we have to jump in and participate in order to win people. We're supposed to win people to our side, so to speak, not to join their side. We are asking them, leave your way of life, leave your way of thinking, and come into a supernatural experience with the God of the universe and experience complete, utter change. Jesus says to the rich young ruler, leave your wealth, every bit of it behind. To the guy who said, I want to go back and I want to say goodbye to my parents, Jesus said, forget your parents. I'm more important than your parents. That's a radical message. And of course, only a few would be attracted to that kind of message. But that's what has kept Christianity the largest religion in the world and the most effective means of, if we want to talk about social justice, the most effective means of social justice in the Western world is Christianity. And, and we've gotten away from that because we don't understand the root. Why would I help poor people? What is the reason for that? Because the Roman Empire into which Christianity came didn't care about poor people. Why is that important? Because Jesus lived a life of poverty and modeled that for me, and he commanded us to care about and to love the poor. That was a radical message that literally changed the world. One of the uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit is discernment of spirits, which is really a determination of the source of a manifestation. When we talk about discernment, Pastor Walt, do you think that if we don't teach clearly on the roles of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, could we be missing out on His ability to work through us? Could that gift of that discernment be very helpful in understanding where we are as a culture? Again, the idea that the gifts are not for today, that people are no longer demon-possessed, that there are no evil spirits. You better believe there are evil spirits. I feel them every Sunday as I prepare to get up into the pulpit 
because Satan wants to stop our message. If you go to any place in the world, Asia, Africa, South America, where they have a more spiritual mindset, in other words, they understand even before they come to faith in Christ, there is a spirit realm. And only in the Western world do we fail to understand there is a spirit realm. And so we are very poor at connecting with the spirit realm. But how do I do that? I do that through the Holy Spirit, and I grow into that. And we don't throw a baby Christian into, say, an exorcism or something like that. But Satan is laughing all the way to the bank because he's got us fooled into believing there is no spiritual realm active today. And that's really essentially what we're saying when we say that the gifts of the Spirit are not in operation today. We like to, to teach on the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, those are the morals or the values that are the basis of the use of the gifts of the Spirit. The two go hand in hand. Paul interrupts his discussion on spiritual gifts to the Corinthians to remind them that without love, I have nothing and I am nothing. But the church in America has got to begin to understand. I've seen this from a number of pastors who are saying, people in my church are not getting free. They are bound by something that seems to be supernatural. And the only way that we can get into the spirit realm is through prayer and through connecting with God. So we've got to begin to connect with God and get a greater understanding of the spirit realm. And that's something that you don't learn overnight, but you begin to grow as a Christian. I think the best gift anyone ever gave me was when I was about 15. This pastor taught me how to read the Bible for myself. He didn't just say, here's what it says, do this, but he says, no, read it yourself. And the reason why that was such a huge gift is because for the last 30-something years, I've been doing that almost every day. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today, and please let us know your thoughts on our topic. We want to hear your feedback and your concerns as you think out loud. Please visit us at cvcmpls.org. That's cvcmpls.org. This podcast is listener-supported. Please consider how you can help by going to our website at cbcmpls.org.